Welcome back to another episode of Things My Friends Know. I'm your host, Lisa Lindenfelser, and I'm here to talk with my friends about their passions. In today's episode, we chat with John about his family's experience with having a baby with Down syndrome and how the changes in society's approach to children with disabilities has given them a better life. This episode does cover some topics that could be potentially triggering, such as miscarriage and abortion. We only address these topics in the context of babies with Down syndrome and chose not to remove the discussion as we felt it is important to shed light on issues that families with children with disabilities have faced in their lives and want to accurately reflect their experiences. Well, hello and welcome. We're here today with John on a very special day. It's World Down Syndrome Day. And before we get too far in, um, John, you have something you want to share with our listeners. So I want to give a quick disclaimer before we start, which is I'm, I'm not a doctor. I'm not a geneticist. I'm not a scientist. I'm just a dude that has this a lot for the sake of my kids. And um, some of my info might be anecdotal and some of it might even be wrong. Certainly not on purpose. I, you know, <laughs> I do my best. But um, yeah, that's all I want to say. Oh, I guess the other point I want to make too is like a lot of the stuff I'll be talking about is really in the context of the first world or the United States in general, because mm. some of the facts change a lot in different parts of the world. So yeah. a lot of that's just in that context. But yeah, I try my best to give the most accurate information I can. Well, we appreciate it. And I mean, I think that's a good disclaimer for all of our podcast episodes. We talk about a lot of things we don't know. Personally, Pablo and I don't know a ton about. So yes, we will do our best to (laughs) express information most accurately. Cool. (laughs) Well, John, I mean, I think, you know, this is a good place to start. Why are you so passionate about Down syndrome? So my daughter was diagnosed with Down syndrome uh, months before we had her. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a whole process of becoming diagnosed, but we knew way ahead of time that she would be born with Down syndrome. Mm -hmm. And I'm a curious dude, so of course I have to study as much as possible about it. (laughs) And it just came to be something that Cassandra and I know a lot about. So I thought it'd be a good topic to talk with you about. (laughs) Well, good. I mean, we're excited to learn about it as well. Um, So let's start with like what is down syndrome like like what effect does that have on you know development like what is it so it's most basic um everybody has 23 chromosomes well 23 pairs so a chromosome is like a chunk of d it's like how the dna is organized in your body Mm -hmm. and every cell in your body has all 23 of these pairs and each one has different so for example your first chromosome will tell you um it might determine hearing loss or breast cancer, or if you're going to have Alzheimer's. Um, oh, wow. Your third chromosome determines whether or not you'll have autism, um, if you'll be immune to HIV. I didn't even know that was possible, that like your DNA yes. can make you immune to certain things. That's crazy. They, yeah, they think that, well, I mean, certain people are resistant to it. Mm. I mean, we're just now, I mean, there's tons of information on each one, of course, on yeah. each chromosome. We don't know what they all do. I mean, famously, the last chromosome, 23, is the one that determines your gender at birth. Mm-hmm. But with Down syndrome, it's a abnormality in the 21st chromosome. And it's where, so all the chromosomes are in pairs, mm-hmm. and it's where that one develops into like a triplet. So it has it's, it has three instead of two. Oh, okay. So, I mean, it can organize in different ways. It can be every cell in your body has 
triplets. That's the most common. Or it can be where some cells are pairs and some are triplets. Or that third triplet can disconnect and jump on and connect to, I think, the 13th. So that the 13th is a mismatch triplet. But wow. either way, that's how that's just how it works. So that's that's what it causes. That's how it's that's how it develops. Mm -hmm. um, other chromosomes can do the same thing. They can split and jumble weird. Yeah. Um, which causes some other conditions like uh, hermaphroditism is caused by when that happens on the 23rd. It pairs up incorrectly. So basically in the pairs, like if you get an extra pair, so three instead of two, or if they get mixed up amongst each other, that's what causes some of like causes some of the abnormalities in yes. humans. Well, the vast majority of these, they think that the vast majority of a of a chromosomal ab abnormality like that will result in just miscarriage. Oh, wow. Um, close to a quarter of all pregnancies end in miscarriage, actually. A lot of people no don't idea. talk about that. It's like maybe around 20%, maybe closer to 25%. And they think that that's like one of the major causes. It's just the chromosomes don't match correctly. And so the pregnancy doesn't come to term. Mm -hmm. But with Down syndrome, it's not really an issue as far as field development. It's just you're just born with Down syndrome. Yeah. So when you guys found out that your daughter Winter was going to have Down syndrome when she was born, um, there wasn't that concern of like possibly miscarrying because of the Down syndrome. Well, they are more, it, miscarriage is likely, but it's not, it, it's not that exceptional mm -hmm. of a, of a, um, call, I don't know how to put that. I understand what you mean. Like, yeah. What, yeah. Whereas, like, it, say that that triplet or that um, misconnection happened on a third or fourth chromosome, it would be like that. That's it. The fetus probably won't develop at all. So it sounds like there was a lot that they could tell you during the pregnancy about um, your daughter Winter. Like, oh yes, because could they actually like like I don't even know. Like, how do you see the chromosomes? Like, how did they even like identify that there was this happening? So yeah, so when they determine Down syndrome during pregnancy, it's it's done in a number of, for, it's done a number of ways. And first of all, when you go for an ultrasound, there's some markers that they'll pick up on. If the back of the neck is chubbier, like if it has like a lot of fat on the back of the neck, um, if the bladder seems larger than it's supposed to be for the size of the baby, mm -hmm. uh, those are markers, those are indications. When we had our first ultrasound, they didn't notice any of those things. So it wasn't until later on, um, usually that's how they, that's how they can tell. Um, but they didn't notice that with winter just by chance. Um, but after that, you can get a blood test. And I think almost all women, pregnant women, do get this blood test. And it has, there can be indication in the mother's blood that the baby is developing Down syndrome. Wow. Um, so when we had that done, they gave us an increased chance. I think at the time they said 5 to 15% chance. And then after that, then they can do a more in-depth blood test. Um, they can conduct amniocentesis, which is where they take fluid from the womb and study that but we didn't even have to go that far we did the secondary blood test and that gave us a much stronger indication we knew it was about a 95 to 99 percent chance wow. so yeah i mean that's quite a jump from like five to fifteen percent to 95 to 99 percent yes it's very accurate it's a the, the, the new blood and it's very new it's only been around for uh, five to ten years if i have to guess um that blood test and how accurate it is that's a very interesting thing too just because <clears throat> I mean, not to go more specifically into DNA necessarily, but like 
everyone watches those crime shows late at night on CBS <laughs> on a Friday night because you got nothing better to do. And you're oh, like, I've oh. seen every episode of Forensic Files. Exactly. You're like, oh, <laughs> they're going to get a blood sample. We're going to know right away how this works. And it's like, that that's only been really a thing since like the mid 80s. Like the first forensic case to like actually use DNA as a reason for someone doing something. So yeah. this is all like relatively brand new to us as like a human civilization being able to find this stuff out our information on genomes and chromosomes and dna is getting more accurate all the time and we're kind of like we're learning a lot right now yeah a lot of this stuff a lot of these techniques for studying for things and testing for things is it's really made a lot of jumps in the last in recent recent years which i mean is good because it gives you as parents better information about what to expect um, when you deliver any baby, <laughs> regardless. Yeah, it's pretty, I don't want to say it's rare, but it's exponentially less likely to have a child born with Down syndrome where you don't find out until they're born. You know what I mean? Mm, yeah. It, it almost always becomes noticed now. Which is just amazing to think about how much medicine has come in, like to your point, Pablo, in such a short amount of time. Exactly. And I guess to that point too, like we were talking, so once they know, that your child likely will be born with Down syndrome. There's a world of other things they can test for and study for before they're born. I mean, they can find, um, they look for a lot of the common issues, which are like heart issues, heart defects, liver mm. problems, that sort of thing. And they can see almost all those. So, I mean, we could see her heart developing through echocardiograms and that sort of thing. I mean, really, in, I think it was in, early in the second trimester. Wow. We're going in and looking at her heart and seeing how it's developed. And that sort of thing. And with us, there were issues, and a lot of those cleared up right away, too. They did think that she possibly had a hole in her heart that she would be born with, which is a pretty common issue. Mm. Um, but it healed on its own. She had a spot on her liver and an enlarged liver, but that healed on its own, too. It's just bizarre that they can see all these things mm -hmm. before the child's ever even born. Yeah, I mean... And even just like I was just thinking about what you were saying and like the heart healing itself, the liver spot going away, like that's the kind of stuff that like doesn't really happen once you are born. So it's amazing what can happen in the body while you're developing a human. That's insane. Yeah. And I mean, and, and you know what to expect, you know, that this may be an issue. It, it helps people get ready. It helps, I guess, doctors get ready. Like we know that this may be a thing. And and then, of course, to monitor it and watch it. But the body's pretty incredible. I mean, it. Even fetuses can heal themselves, which is awesome. Yeah, and crazy. Now, um, <laughs> I know this is kind of a personal question, so it's totally okay if you don't want to share, but what was the process like for you and Cass when you found out that Winter was going to be born with Down syndrome? Like, how did you handle that news? I mean, we're a little surprised. It's not, of course, it's not anyone's plan, but we didn't have to... I guess we didn't have to adjust a whole lot of things. We had a lot more doctor's visits. Well, we like had, I mean, we met with geneticists and stuff, which I guess is just standard procedure for the hospital that we used here in Kalamazoo. Mm -hmm. But it didn't really change our plan, I guess. I mean, of course, we were a little distraught at first. Right. Um, and I got to, I got to studying. <laughs> <laughs> got a new notebook. <laughs> but, I mean, really, it... We were pretty accepting of it long before she even was born, you know, mm -hmm. and then, yeah, I mean, it does, it does change the process. Like with Penelope, we had our regular visits and checkups and they were all very mundane because mm -hmm. she was pretty boring and normal. 
Um, but then for us, for winter, we had to go in a lot more times and check a lot more things. As we got closer, we were having more visits, you know, and listening to her heart almost once a week and that sort of thing. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like it was a lot more educational because there was a lot more like you talked about the hole in the heart that was like fixed itself or the spot on the liver. I'm sure those were all things that you covered in all of those appointments as you got farther and farther into the pregnancy where they were just explaining to you what was happening, you know, physically. Um, yeah. with winter before she was born yeah How, so um you mentioned penelope we call her penny or um even pon pon <laughs> which is our personal nickname for her um, <laughs> we're weirdos <laughs> um so penelope is your daughter how old is she now she turned three in december Oh my gosh, it's crazy how much they grow up so fast. So, um, and winter is, her birthday is coming up, right? April will yes. be her first birthday? Yes, April 9th. It's crazy how time flies. So how, <laughs> I mean, like, how has the relationship with Winter and Penny been? Like, does Penny understand, like, what is happening with Winter? Um, We've talked for about it a little. Um, I don't think, in that sense, she doesn't have a huge frame of reference in that, her daughter or her sister is different because she hasn't been a lot around a lot of kids for the last year. That's true. Honestly, right. I mean, the two of them have been best friends. Oh, um, that's but so Penelope sweet. is very protective of her little sister. Mm. <laughs> um, just to embarrass her, when we came home from the hospital, like right away, Penny wanted to hold her, but she held her. She was like, I think she was the first person to get to hold her. Oh. And then after a minute, she set her down and she went walked across the room. She's only two years old. <laughs> just turned two at this point, walked across the room, stared out the window and just started crying softly. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I mean, we're laughing, but it was so touching. That's yeah. so sweet. But she's, they are very, they're in love with each other. Mm. And Penelope is very protective of her little sister. She likes to hold her all the time. Always has. They're sweet. They're, they're best friends. That is adorable. I mean, like, that's a good point. Like, you and Cass had winter during, like, the very beginning stages of the coronavirus. Like, the world shut down in March, and then mm -hmm. you had winter on April 9th. That must have been terrifying. It was It was absolutely terrifying, to be honest. Um, maybe more so for me than for Cassandra. I think she was a little more chill about it. Um, I was nervous being in the hospital for all that. But then in retrospect, it was almost, I was just saying this to my neighbor the other day, it was almost the perfect time during the pandemic because early in April, everyone was like very serious and very strict. And especially at the hospital, yeah. taking things very strict. Um, it was a way different experience for us than with our first daughter. But in a, I mean, there was only, I think, 16 or so people in the hospital with COVID. Um, they were in a different wing anyway. And and I mean, everyone was just so careful and screening and all that sort of thing. So yeah. like no nonsense. <laughs> it, absolutely. So while it was stressful, it really didn't need to be, you know what I mean? It's yeah. not, I was, I was scared to be in the hospital, but I shouldn't have been, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's totally fair. So, um, winter's about to have her first birthday. What are some of her favorite activities that she does right now? Um, she likes her toys and she likes her food. <laughs> <laughs> Don't we all? <laughs> um, she likes her bouncy chair. And other than that, she really just like cuddling and sometimes watching TV. I mean, she's kind of a normal baby in in that sense, you know. There's yeah. not there's not a lot of differences with her right now. Mm -hmm. um, she's not quite crawling yet. Um, she's just starting to stand and that sort of thing. So she's a little bit 
delayed in some milestones that you expect with babies and toddlers. She only has a handful of words, um, but she can feed herself and she can sit up by herself and that sort of thing. So like, well, I was going to say like her sister with Penelope, Penelope didn't crawl all that much because once she figured out she could roll somewhere, she did that most of the time, (laughs) (laughs) which is kind of the same way. It's like, she doesn't need to crawl. That's awesome. I mean, like, that's a good point. Because like you mentioned, like crawling, walking, starting to learn words, like Pablo and I are not parents. And so I don't even know, like when those normal things happen in a kid's life, regardless. But so, I mean, like, let, let's talk about that a little bit. Like, what can mm-hmm. you expect winter's life to be like living with Down syndrome? You mentioned that she's pretty normal right now. But what does the future look like for her? Well, like with any kid with Down syndrome, they're going to hit milestones later. With a normal kid, you're going to have, you expect them to hit milestones within a certain range. And then all of that's delayed for a kid with Down syndrome. Mm -hmm. And for different reasons, like some of them because of intellectual disability and some because of um, motor skills and their body being a little weaker Mm. um, for those reasons. But she's doing fine now. I mean, we'll, for now... you'll expect that it'll take longer to potty train her. It'll take longer for her to read and write. But the main thing is with Down syndrome, it's, it's a spectrum too. It can be very mild. It can be very extreme. And you don't really know until, you know, as they grow as a person, you don't really know the severity of it for many years. There's no way of knowing the severity of it. So Um, that's one thing they can't really tell you when they do all of those tests while um, you're going through the pregnancy is like what the severity of the Down syndrome will be over the long term. Well, even as, you know, even as they get older, you still, there's no, there's no hard and fast number. There's no way to tell the severity. It's mm. only based on how they, you know, their own personal successes. Yeah. Um, you know. I mean, that's a really interesting point because it sounds like um, while there is a Down syndrome community and I'm sure you get a lot of support, like every person is unique, just like, you know, any other person, like they're going to have different experiences and they're going to learn at different rates. And um, I mean, like, that's a good way to think about it. Like winter is winter and winter will grow and learn at the rate that winter grows and learns. Yes. Um, But yeah, like, I mean, like I said, it's just, it is a huge spectrum as far as like intelligence, accomplishments, Mm -hmm. um, and even the other, even the other things that come with Down syndrome. So there's like, you know, there's like physical characteristics, there's mental characteristics, there's behavioral characteristics that are affected. Mm -hmm. And all of them present on a, on a spectrum too. Like some people, some people with Down syndrome, it's not as noticeable by looking at them and other people with Down syndrome, it's not as noticeable by talking to them. Yeah. Because all of those characteristics can exist or in some cases be very mild, very extreme. Should, wait, should we talk on some of those? Yeah, let's like the do characteristics? it. Yeah, absolutely. So a, a lot of the characteristics are in appearance. They usually have a flatter nose. They have kind of almond shaped eyes. Like a hundred years ago, they would compare them to Asian people, which oh, is where wow. the term mongoloid came from, because the eyes almost look like, you know, hooded, slanted kind of thing. Mm. They usually have thinner hair. Uh, a bigger tongue, smaller ears. Um, a weird one is the creases in your hands. Mm-hmm. A person with Down syndrome usually only has one crease, whereas the rest of us have two or three. Wow, it's just a I, weird we were thing. just looking at our hands right now to see. <laughs> I have two. I have three creases in my hand. <laughs> um, and then, so those are like some of the physical things. Usually they're shorter. Their big toe will be spaced apart further from the second toe. Hmm. And then some of these things you might not ever notice 
with someone with Down syndrome, or sometimes they can be very extreme. It's just, I mean, it's just case by case. Yeah. Um, and then other than that, like intellectually, they're going to be usually of lower IQ. But again, that exists on a spectrum That's too. A like spectrum a person thing, with, right? Yeah. A person with Down syndrome can be smarter than a person without Down syndrome right. just by where they fall on that bell curve, you know? Mm -hmm. yeah. You can find someone that had Down syndrome and they're 55 years old and they work at a job eight hours a day, five days a week and are full functioning and can do everything on their own. But then you still have the other half. Like it's just a full exactly. spectrum. You just don't know. Yes. But in general, that bell curve is lower. Right. Um, right. Yeah. That's definitely like super high functioning, but any, yes, you just don't know. It's just how they live their life. Just like us, you know, super high functioning people with Down syndrome has kind of become more of a thing. A hundred years ago, the life expectancy was like a teenager 20. Wow. Nowadays, it's gotten very close to their life expectancy is very close to everyone else. Wow. It's gotten a lot better. Um, and their successes in life have changed a lot. Like a hundred years ago, well, even until like the 50s, the vast majority of cases were institutionalized. Mm. Um, they'd go live in a group home or an asylum. Now that they are pushed to go to elementary school with other kids and to study and kind of the attitude now is you want to push them in school and you want to, and e well, even in like um, physical activity, you want to push them to learn to walk and crawl as quickly as possible. Mm -hmm. It's had a lot of changes in outcome. I mean, in recent years, there's been a handful of people with Down syndrome that have graduated college that have college degrees. I know there's one woman who has a teaching degree and a certificate in or an associates or bachelors in psychology. Wow. It happens now more often. Nowadays, they usually graduate high school and a very, very, very small few will go on to college and even graduate. What do you think has made the difference between like, obviously, like medicine has come a long way since the 50s. Do you think that's the reason that everything has changed Medicine so much? has been huge for expanding life expectancy because, you know, now we know all the problems they're going to have and we know how to fix them with those medical problems that are common, but also with, you know, with outcomes of, and successes and stuff, it's really just pushing them early on. Oh, Whereas okay. you don't just, you know, don't, don't just ignore them and write them off to having difficulties. You push them to overcome the difficulties and that, I mean, it helps obviously. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a, that's an interesting point because like to, like you were saying earlier, if they were institutionalized or put in asylums, like they're obviously not going to be challenged the same way that they would if they were, you know, in a household with parents and going to school and like learning shapes and colors and speaking like, right. So it sounds like it was more about people were not challenging them to do things and just kind of letting them you know, sit there. I think until the fifties too, it was pretty common that they wouldn't in general, just not even grow up with their families per se oh, wow. at all, you know? Yeah. Which is sad. So to your point, I mean, a quality of life for, for them themselves is, is a big deal. And being able to do these things is huge. Like, yeah, it is huge. I feel like people quickly will overlook that, that concept where people with disabilities aren't even like considered in regards to quality of life. It's just like, yeah. who's taking care of them? Who's doing this? Who's doing that? It's like, these are people that they're going to live a life. We want them to have the best life they can have. Well, and in most cases now, and by most, I think that's just over 50%. Um, they will end up living on their own or, you know, in a house with roommates. They don't necessarily live with their parents their whole lives like they used to. Mm -hmm. right. And certainly not institutionalized. Of course, there's still group homes adults um, right. that need more help but 
yes, they're most are very capable of living independently. I think that brings up a really interesting topic, though, that there's a lot of sensitivity and I would probably even go as far to say as oppression, like related to people with disabilities, like even thinking about some of the things that we've talked about so far um, in a way to like differentiate families with someone with Down syndrome versus other families. I said the word normal, like and that in and of itself, language indicates that there's something wrong wrong inherently about having people with disabilities um and i think it's a really difficult topic for people because we don't want to say the wrong thing um and but we still we still have this language that's all about othering people and it's like me versus other people like so it's difficult to talk about it is and i think to that point too i mean it, it reminds me of um what's it called it's the um i think it's called the euphemism treadmill I've never heard you know of I mean? it. When, when, you, when you're talking about terminology, how terminology for a disorder or a syndrome or something, it just kind of changes over time. Mm-hmm. Um, like w- what is acceptable language? Yes. And I think like uh, one example would be for PTSD. Like the word for PTSD, I mean, it used to be shell shock or battle fatigue, and it just constantly changes. Yeah. But really the overall idea is that the reason that the word always changes and that we're always evolving what is offensive and what isn't within the language is kind of that it's kind of a result of the whole concept being considered bad. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Like when I was a kid, it was okay to call someone that was mentally disabled retarded. It wasn't necessarily a bad word. Yeah. Now it's considered a very bad word, Mm -hmm. but I mean, is it just because people start using that as an insult or, I mean, basically, yeah, it's because people would use that as an insult, but that's not going to change. I mean, now there's people who don't like, using the word handicapped or mentally handicapped or challenged mm. the terminology always changes yeah. so and it's it, but but that's because it's always considered a bad thing yeah. when it's not considered a bad thing you know right it's just kind of like the standardization of how we communicate as a society and like once you have these words out there like you said like retarded can turn into you know a negative term that as an insult and then mm-hmm. basically we try to clean it up and change it to something that's more, you know, politically correct. Not even necessarily that. It's just basically giving it another name and crossing your fingers that people don't use it as an insult again. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but until but until it's just not frowned upon in general, that's it's never going to stop, you know. Right, exactly. So that the euphemism treadmill. It. Yeah, the treadmill yes. just never stops. Yeah. Yes. And I mean, I think that was kind of the point I was trying to make earlier is that like society has forced us into this idea of thinking about people with disabilities as being wrong in some way. But really, like what we are trying to do is just address each person as an individual. Like we all come with baggage, like (laughs) from, you know, like how we were raised or like, you know, tragedies that happen in people's lives. Like we all have something. And so just embracing everybody as being, you know, together instead of like, oh, you're over here with PTSD and you're over here with Down syndrome. Like, we just need to think more about each individual person. There was, um, who was the guy that wrote Flowers for Algernon? Are you guys familiar with that book? I know the we book, but I don't it. know who We wrote had to read it in high school. Yeah. He, so he, Flowers for Algernon was a book about a man with, what was it? Wasn't it just autism? Man, I'm not even sure now. I haven't read it in so long, <laughs> but he had some sort of mental disorder. And then it's a, you know, it's a science fiction book. They were able to cure it. And then the man realizes he was being made fun of his whole life and he never realized. But that author made the point that we don't, 
we don't look down on people with certain disabilities. Like if a man loses his arm, he's disabled, but that's not frowned upon. Mm-hmm. Whereas in our Western world, there are other disabilities and disorders that are kind of frowned upon and shunned, like autism or Down syndrome. It's like that an sort intellectual, of... like if, if it falls in that category, it becomes like a... a it's more a, of a, a dirty, dirty thing. thing. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas any other sort of disability or handicap might not be considered as wrong, I guess was mm. the point. Yeah. Right. I hope that makes sense. Yeah, no, no, that totally. makes total sense. So, um, you know, I know we're still living in the Rona times, hopefully <laughs> with the vaccine rolling out, it won't be much longer, but, um, how has your family and your friends, like, how have they responded to this news about winter having down syndrome? Like what has that experience been like? Oh, everyone's been cool. I mean, no one's, and we've had no negative experience that I can think of. Mm. Um, not really, um, not really any issues. It's just a bummer that no one's got to meet her yet. Yeah. Um, I know. Our brother's, our brother's chomping at the bit. <laughs> oh, yes, she is. That's just for everyone listening, John and Pablo, our brothers. I don't know why I didn't say that earlier in the podcast, but of course, you guys <laughs> both share a mom who we call Munya. <laughs> yes. <laughs> she's not yet met Winter in person, and I think she's foaming at the mouth, too. <laughs> she absolutely is. Um we invited her to come for her birthday um, because we invited a couple other family members that are vaccinated oh, so um, sweet. as we are, um, but they, they're going to wait, but, but it, it will be soon. <laughs> um, and then other than that, so my, my dad and stepmom got to meet her um, because they were watching Penelope while we were in the hospital. Um, and Cass's dad met her briefly. He came over one afternoon just for an outdoor visit. Um, and then our brother, Steve, got to see her through the screen door. So other than that, I mean, she's honestly seen like maybe a dozen human faces her whole life. Wow. She's almost a year old. I mean, that's crazy to think about for any baby, like like babies everywhere. I mean, like that they probably have seen a lot less people than they would have in a non-Rona environment. That's insane. She's seen a lot less faces is what it is, you know, and yeah. But it's that's going to change very soon. Um, <laughs> yes, <laughs> she's going to meet a lot of people this year. Hopefully, you guys. Yeah, yeah, that would be awesome. I mean, especially as the weather gets better as well, I feel like there's like some safety about like meeting people in an outdoor space and not in an yeah. indoor space. So, hopefully, winter will get to meet all of the family in 2021. <laughs> that's that's absolutely my goal. I hope so. That's so awesome. get your shots, guys. <laughs> yeah, we need Come to on see over. that girl. <laughs> and Pon Pon. Pon Pon. So I will ask a question, and I know that you are not like the representative of all parents of children with Down syndrome, but I feel like a common thing that people have is they want to ask questions, but they feel like it's impolite. And I, I guess it'd be a good question. Again, like I said, you're not the representative of everyone that has a child with Down syndrome, but how how do you feel about it so other people can kind of get the idea of like, I feel like there's a lot of apprehension in regards to, you know, asking about the Down syndrome or anything in regards to, you know, like winter or anything like that. Have you had any experience or what would you say? We haven't had a lot of experience because we haven't been out in the open, I guess, but Cassandra and I absolutely are not going to get offended by questions. Mm-hmm. I mean, I... I would embrace them. I, I would appreciate them. Um, I know there's people that do not like that. There's certainly people that don't like that attention. Um, I mean, we're on a handful of like down syndrome parent group 
on, you know, like Facebook and Reddit and that sort of thing. And it's not uncommon to see someone who's like, well, I was at the grocery store and this person asked about my daughter. And so some people really don't like the attention mm. um, from strangers. I certainly don't feel that way. So, I, you know, it's just, it's up to the, it's situation. I don't know. The, it, yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. I mean, I think there's something, there's something different about like a family member who doesn't necessarily have the right words or the right language to ask questions and what's appropriate and what's not appropriate, which you extend some level of like grace to, but like a random stranger in the grocery store, like that definitely would be a different scenario. It would be, but I don't think it's something that's going to offend me ever. Um, but people are very touchy about the language too, where I am not but that's just me. For example, like in one of our groups, so like when, did you guys see the Peanut Butter Falcon movie, the Shia LaBeouf movie no. that came out this year? So it's it's starring a man with Down syndrome and it's about like him and Shia go on this like road trip venture because he was institutionalized and he escaped. And that's, you know, that's the, that's the story. But they use the R word in the movie and like another character in the movie calls him retarded and stuff. And people in one of my Down syndrome groups were upset by that. They're like, well, they were using the R word in the movie. We shouldn't be supporting this. And to me, it's like, dude, he was the bad guy. Like, (laughs) (laughs) it's not like, (laughs) I don't know. Just to make the point that people are still very sensitive about the language, which is understandable. But I guess you really have to take it in context and really have to understand intentions. And most people aren't, most people aren't mean, you know, right. And people make mistakes and I'm not going to police anybody's language just because they're curious. You know what I mean? Right. But that's just me again. And I'm different. <laughs> Our family's fair. different. So basically you're just saying like, follow some like standard social cues, like feel free to ask a question, but if you're kind of getting the cold shoulder in regards to responses, maybe, maybe that's not the right person to, to try to get some information from. That's great. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Read the room, Read the room. Right. <laughs> watch the social cues, pay attention. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe don't ask people you meet in the supermarket about it either, which it's, <laughs> it's weird to me because I see that come up a lot in the group. Like someone in public asked about my daughter or something. I mean, I, I haven't had that experience because I haven't taken her to a grocery store. So I don't really know how often that happens, but it seems like it happens a lot more often than mm. I would have suspected, I guess. Yeah. I think um, a common thing is, you know, other children that aren't understanding of what that is mm. and seeing it for the first time, like seeing someone with Down syndrome and being like, you know, there's definitely something about this person that seems different to the general population that I see, like what's going on. So right. that's probably a pretty normal scenario. That does remind me of a good point that with young kids, other children too, there's a lot less people, a lot less children born with Down syndrome now than there was when I was a kid. Right. Mm. Um, the population's gone down a lot um, and it's because of the early testing and abortion mm. so like for, for our hospital they told us that it was roughly 95% of pregnancies were terminated once they knew that it could happen and I think in general it's like 80 to 90% in the US a um, little bit higher in the UK and then in some in a lot of Europe so like Denmark and Iceland mm-hmm. it's roughly maybe one child a year will be born with down syndrome the population is virtually zero and it's just because it's socially acceptable to terminate the pregnancy when you know there's going to be a disability that they can test for whereas then in other parts of the world they just don't do that like it's like in the you know in the muslim community it's pretty taboo amongst more predominantly catholic countries it's pretty taboo so you see more kids with down syndrome but in the u.s it's 
there's a lot less people born with it nowadays because of that so which is i i don't know like it's it's difficult to know what to say about that because abortion in and of itself is a very very touchy topic um regardless of the scenario for why any pregnancy is terminated so it's weird because when you said that there's a lot less of a community for down syndrome today than there would have been 20 or 30 years ago i was like oh that must mean like we're getting healthier or like the issues with the chromosomes are becoming less of an issue and you're saying no it's because people choose to terminate a pregnancy instead of have someone with down syndrome or disability yes which i mean i'm not going to talk on anybody's decisions we were just like let's roll with it and it's not I, i would argue that maybe there's more of a community now that like people are more connected in general Mm -hmm. um there's just less it's just a smaller population of people with it now so yeah i mean and even being offered the option to terminate a pregnancy is definitely something that's more available than it would have been 50 years ago like and there's not much of a stigma attached to it whatsoever i mean obviously if there was there wouldn't be the numbers wouldn't be 95 percent here in kalamazoo right you know right so there really is almost no stigma attached in the United States or in Europe to not bring a pregnancy to term for those reasons. Um, I think there's a lot of other disabilities that probably see a similar numbers, I'm guessing. I don't Mm -hmm. know. And there's really, so from a person to person, there's really no way of knowing that you're more, the only, the only factor that makes you more susceptible to have a child with Down syndrome is your age, the age of the mother. That is the only corresponding factor. Wow. There's nothing they can find environmental. It's not hereditary. It's just it's just a random chance. But that chance goes up exponentially as the mother ages. Wow. So if a woman is pregnant in her 40s, she has like a 1 in 30 chance. Whereas wow. like a woman who is 20 years old has like a 1 in 8,000 chance, something like that. That's insane. Especially because like my mom had me when she was 40 and my little sister when she was 42. Um, and so, and I have an older sister as well, which she would have been in her late thirties when she had my sister, my older sister, but that's crazy to think about like, because, okay. So side tangent, like, of course, back in the olden days, people were getting married at 18 and popping out babies at 18 because they ran farms and they were trying to, that's what you do. Yeah. Like <laughs> yes. populate the earth. But like now is like a, a special, especially recently, we're seeing a lot of people having children later in life because you're more established. You have more money. Right. You can have a better and bigger house. Like there's a lot of reasons to wait. So that's just insane to think that because we are trying to focus on supporting children in a, but a more established environment like that introduces risk in and of itself. It's crazy. Yeah, absolutely. Good point. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they, they've tried to find if there's other correlating factors and there is none. Um, wow. I mean, in the olden days, they tried to speculate for other reasons. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, 150 years ago, they thought it was promiscuity caused it. Oh, Lordy. <laughs> so... <laughs> So one question I do have for you, um, do you feel like there's any misconceptions about Down syndrome that you want to kind of like refute or talk about? Do you have any like to ask about? (laughs) (laughs) No, I mean, like, honestly, like, I don't know a lot about this topic. Um, I grew up in a very small town at a very small school and like people with disabilities was just not very common growing up. So this is a topic I know very little about. I think that. You know, I didn't know a lot about how they lived their lives, you know, I guess Mm -hmm. you would say. Um, But that's also changed a lot in recent years, too. Um, 
So I guess the common misconception is that they just hang out at home and watch TV and don't really do anything. Yeah. Whereas their lives are becoming more and more, to use that dirty word, normal. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Nowadays, I mean, the vast majority of them have a job. Not the vast. I'd say I think it's like sixty percent right now have a have a job. Mm-hmm. Um, the majority live not by themselves, but not with their parents yeah. or not in an, a facility. You know. So, I mean, they tend to live a lot more normal lives than I think most people assume. Yeah. I mean, they have hobbies, they have girlfriends, they get married. I mean, they don't have children, which is another thing that, um, I guess another medical condition we didn't talk about is that they're usually infertile, mostly. Um, Men more so than the women. So women are less likely to be able to bear children, and whereas men are like 99.9999% unable to bear children so they usually don't have their own kids of their own or their own families although it's not unheard of Mm -hmm. um is there any um known medical situations in regards to you know women with down syndrome having children and any like impacts to their health or anything like that well so if a woman with down syndrome has a child and they do um it's only a 50 percent chance of the child having down syndrome so half the time, if a woman with Down syndrome has a kid, it's the kid is born without it, Wow! which is kind of strange. I don't really know all the um, the ins and outs yeah. of how that works, yeah. but I mean, you hear those like hereditary things where it's like, well, it's it's a woman that carries it. And then if she has a son, they get something. And then if that yeah. son has a daughter, she'll carry it right. for her kid. So I was just curious if there is like any research in regards to what that kind of Man, but that's, there yeah, is, that's but I don't know it. Yeah, like but that's Alzheimer's, still really yeah. crazy that like 50% could be without it, too, if they were to yeah. bear children. Yeah. Oh, before, yeah, I wanted to bring up, too, a weird thing, which is the advantages of Down syndrome, because there are a few. And one is, I mean, the one more obvious one is that they are extremely flexible, Ooh. so they don't have the same joint injuries. Like, dude, my kid can scratch her ears with her feet, no problem. Oh, so we have a future gymnast on our hands. <laughs> so they have stretchier ligaments. So it does cause some problems with ligaments. Like um, if you're not in shape, you can um, have hip problems and stuff because your joints are more flexible. Mm. But they are more flexible. And then the other weird thing is that they are immune, not immune, but mostly immune to a lot of different types of cancer. So people with Down syndrome don't develop breast cancer, lung cancer, skin cancer, prostate, ovarian, like anything that involves tumor tissue. For some reason, people with Down syndrome don't, if that cancer starts to develop, body shuts it off. Wow. Like it's just, it's, it's just written to their DNA that they are, their body knows to do that. So they're studying a way to like try and cure cancers with that information, but I don't know how far they've gotten. I don't know. That is fascinating. I don't know what's come of that, but. They're not 100% immune, but they are extremely resistant to any cancer that involves a tumor or a type of tissue. Weird, huh? That's that's (laughs) That's very interesting. So those are the few advantages. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, I think that having you and Cassandra as parents is also an advantage, like a loving family who is committed to winter's growth and development like that is good, too. (laughs) Dude, it's been fun so far. And yeah. (laughs) <laughs> I look forward to more. <laughs> <laughs> well, before, It's going to be a fun ride. Well, before we wrap up, is there anything else you want to share about Down syndrome with our listeners? No, there's nothing else I want to share. But I mean, if anyone wants to reach out to us and ask us anything, you guys are more than welcome. 
any of your listeners. Yeah. I mean, I suppose I could put some contact info on your <laughs> FB or whatever, your pages. Um, yeah, I'll just tag you um, and Cassandra in the social media posts so everybody can find you and they can private message you if they have any questions about your experiences. And honestly, John, I just want to thank you for being so open for having this conversation with us because like I mentioned earlier, it is a very taboo topic to talk about and I feel like we don't always have the right language and you've been very open to hearing our thoughts and having us say the wrong things. So I really <laughs> appreciate that. I feel like I've learned a lot. Hey, no problem. Thank you. Yeah, thanks, bro. <laughs> <laughs> Anytime, my man. <laughs> well, thanks so much, John. Thank you. Thanks for listening to another episode of Things My Friends Know. Be sure to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, and subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or wherever you get your podcasts.